0: 1 Kings chapter 10, if you'll turn there with me, So we continue our study through 1 Kings together. At this point, we're... Really at the zenith of King Solomon's reign, the time uh, of his reign, uh, we're at least, we know, halfway through it, if not moving towards the end of it, we'll see in these last few chapters or next few chapters ahead of us. uh, Really at this time, Solomon's kingdom is very well established. All the, the glory and the riches and the opulence of his kingdom is really sort of coming to pass at this point in time. And Solomon has not only that uh, there going on in Israel, but remember we saw at the end of our study last time that Solomon also had established a navy out of the southern part of Israel. And at this point, it seems, is sending out ships on expeditions uh, going really all throughout the uh, known world and the far east at this point, all the way out through the Indian Ocean and other areas, bringing back in Uh, different things and porting them to Israel and so his fame at this point is spreading all around to other nations and territories this uh, fame of this incredible kingdom that Solomon had uh, there in Israel Uh, in light of that we read here in chapter 10 of first kings verse 1 now when the queen of Sheba And Sheba, we can't be dogmatic. Some say it's the area of Arabia. Some say Ethiopia. Uh, Either location, we can't be absolutely certain 100%, would have us about 1,200 to 1,500 miles away from Israel. Now, that's quite a journey. You have to understand that would be quite a journey today. In the ancient world, traveling at the pace they did uh, and in the modes of transportation, that's a, a long distance to travel. And, and I want to emphasize that because that's important in regards to what we see the Queen of Sheba traveling to do now and coming to see Solomon, to meet him, to see his kingdom, and to test him, and probably to perhaps even maybe negotiate some potential commerce and trading uh, amongst them as people groups from different nations. She travels quite a distance. So the Queen of Sheba, notice it says, heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. That was the main thing she heard about this Yahweh God and how he had blessed this great nation of Israel and how there was this incredible king that was on the throne there who had experienced such incredible blessing from Yahweh God. She'd heard about the name of the Lord. And so it says, verse one, she came to test him With hard questions. So uh, she heard about this incredible wisdom that he had. We've seen it many ways so far. Remember, that was one of the answers to the prayer that he first asked of God early in his reign when God said, Ask what you will when he appeared to Solomon there at Gibeon. And Solomon said, God, Give me an understanding heart. You're great people. I'm inexperienced. I don't know how to care for them or to lead them or guide them. And so God, I'm dependent upon hearing your voice. I want to have a hearing heart. I want your wisdom. And God promised not only wisdom to Solomon, which he received, but really much beyond that. But again, this incredible wisdom. And again, remember we talked about how it was a wisdom it says that God gave to him. So This wasn't just natural wisdom accumulated over years and time. And again, we all to some degree, I hope, as we progress and get older, get a little bit less foolish and a little bit more wise. And and life has a way of just kind of as you live it out, you kind of knock some of the wind out of your sails and you just build some common sense and life wisdom that's accumulated with time and age, I think. But what Solomon had was supernatural wisdom. It wasn't natural acquired wisdom. It was divine wisdom from the all-wise God that God was supernaturally depositing into Solomon's life to help him to be able to function in the ways and capacities that he did to make the decisions and judgments that he did. God was so gracious to give him such unique, incredible wisdom. The unfortunate thing is sometimes even the wisest people can do the most foolish of things if they don't respond to the wisdom that's available to them. And and Solomon's a great uh, example of that very thing. So she comes to him because this great king had such uh, recognition for great wisdom. And she came, it says, to test him with hard questions. So she wanted to see the validity of this incredible wisdom that he had. Verse two says, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels that bore spices, very much gold, And precious stones, and when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in. Her heart. So she comes to Solomon uh, with this great entourage. Keep in mind, the Bible says that she was a queen herself, the queen of Sheba, whether from, again, the area of Arabia or Ethiopia. So she now comes as a queen with all the entourage of a queen. She's got servants and supplies you can see there in verse two. And, and she comes with this great entourage into Jerusalem. And she begins to just lay out her heart, to Solomon speaking to him about every question she has in her heart every concern that she has in her heart things that were hard to put together and hard to understand and so she's trying to not only test him but really is just taking advantage of this opportunity to just pour out her heart and to ask searching and deep questions of him to try and hear his wisdom about matters of life so Solomon verse 3 it says answered all her questions And there was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. So imagine that. Uh, She's just asking these questions, just searching questions, uh, deep things that she can't understand. She's trying to put the pieces together. And it says that Solomon, again, not because of his own capacity, but because the wisdom of God dwelt within him, uh, he was able to give to her answers to her questions. In fact, it says there, was, there was nothing that actually was too difficult that he couldn't explain it to her, that he couldn't help her to, to understand it and to reason it out or to see the matter clearly. Now, as we look at this account here of this... Uh, kind of experience between the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon, her going to him, certainly please don't miss here, uh, there are many great pictures in this scene in regards to to not only King Solomon, but the greater than King Solomon, and that's the King of Kings, Jesus himself. And remember Matthew chapter 12, Jesus even made reference in connection to Solomon's life to his life wanting to some ways portray look if she was willing to invest that effort and to experience those things from an earthly king in all his glory Solomon. and how much more uh, jesus in essence was saying should you experience and search after the same thing from me as a divine king and as the king of kings so i think it's very beautiful as you look at this because As she comes to Solomon, notice uh, she's working through what? All her difficult questions. It says she comes there to him and she's testing him with hard questions. That is things that she was questioning in her own life. Difficult questions that she faced as everybody faces as a human being. And she's trying to work through those things with Solomon. Well, Jesus can handle when we come to him with our hard and our difficult questions. And What a wonderful thing that there's something you know very helpful, it's almost somewhat therapeutic, to be able to just go to Jesus, to go to the King of Kings, the God of all knowledge, the God of all wisdom, who's been reigning not just in our lifespan, but reigning for all of time and all of eternity and watching everything that happens on this earth among humanity, and to know that we can just sort of, you know vomit out and pour out all of our hard questions. And that Jesus' shoulders are big enough to handle those things. And he's even willing to give us the patience and the time of day to entertain our questions. And we can go to him. I mean, we read the Psalms and how many times we read the Psalmist asking questions, you know, how long Lord and why Lord, Job's asking questions like that. And to think that we can go to Jesus and he can handle us working through our difficult questions, just asking those things of him and to realize as well, like in verse two, that as she spoke to Solomon with all that was in her heart, that we can speak to Jesus about all that's going on in our hearts. And the things that your heart's just wrestling through and struggling with, that you can talk to another human being till you're blue in the face, and they would never still be able to understand that you can go to Jesus. And you can just speak to Jesus about everything that's in your heart and articulate it with your words. And even when your own words can't explain it, he says, I understand what you're trying to say. And the fact that we have that outlet with the Lord to be able to go to him and just to to work through and to speak out the things that are going on about all that's going on inside of our hearts. And to realize that Jesus alone, like Solomon here in verse 3, can answer our questions. And the things that no one else can give us an answer to, the things that no one else may have an answer for, that Jesus has answers. And I'm not saying that may be the answer that explains to us perhaps you know, exactly what we need to know, but he gives us enough of an answer that it's sufficient. Uh, even if it's just a matter of explaining to us the fact that, listen, this does not mean I don't love you and my grace is going to be sufficient for you, like he told Paul, and and, and, and that, that, that I, I love you and, and you need to just trust me, even though you can't see right now. And it will become clear in time and whatever it may be to know that Jesus is able to hear what's going on and we can pour out our hearts and that he can help us to understand our own difficulties and the things that we're wrestling through. What a great privilege that even as she experienced this with Solomon to how much greater of a degree is that available for us as we go to one much greater to the king of kings, Jesus himself. And verse 4 goes on to tell us regarding this account when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the food on his table. Remember, we saw how extensive Uh, The quantities of food were uh, there to feed all of his servants and palace uh, staff that were there. When she saw all the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Now that's interesting. I don't know if he had a a personal entryway that kind of gave him access to the house of the Lord. But somehow this was evident and a part of what she saw in this grand tour. It says there was no more spirit in her. So again, the idea is when she saw all the glory of Solomon's, you know, life and his kingdom and his staff and his servants and the food on his table and the provision and the entryway by which he went to the house. When she saw all of this, it says there was no more spirit in her. The idea is it just took her breath away it was just so overwhelming it literally just sort of sapped the the breath out of her took her breath away and again as we look at this that was her experience with solomon and this glory of an earthly king and it was glorious by no by all means but think about when we see the lord jesus for ourselves I think to a greater degree this is true and I think in many different ways. First of all, that can tend to be true. I know it was my experience. And that's what happens to the unbeliever in salvation. When you finally come to Jesus and you see for yourself as she's seeing for herself, she had heard about Jesus or me, she had heard about Solomon, Queen of Sheba had. She had heard about him from others but now she comes and sees it for herself. And when she sees the king and all of his glory and all that he has available and all that's about his kingdom for herself, it literally takes her breath away. And I don't know about you, but it literally just sapped the life out of me when I came to Christ. And when I finally saw for myself who Jesus was and what was real about him and salvation, truly, I think that that literally happens. It's just a life altering experience when somebody genuinely meets Christ in salvation. And sees him for themselves and who he is and the great king that he really is. And I tell you this, I think as well verses 4 and 5 are a great picture of exactly what's going to happen as well for us as believers when we cross through the veil in death or Jesus raptures us off this earth and whatever comes first, I'm fine with that. The sooner the better for me. When we enter into his presence and we see him face to face and we see all the glory of his eternal kingdom. And all just the, the glory and, and the incredible thing that exists there in his presence, at his throne, in his kingdom, all around the saints and the angels. I think literally that, that the first breath in heaven is going to be losing your breath. It's going to just take our breath away. It's going to overwhelm us. It's just going to literally, you know, just cause us to be breathless and, and wonder. I, you know, that remember that song that was very popular for a while there? Uh, what was it called? I, I Can Only Imagine. And, and I, I, that song certainly captures that idea. You know, I can only imagine when my eyes see, you know, w- what's going to happen? Are or, or, or we going to just fall on our face? or we, w- What's going to be the experience? It's just going to be truly an overwhelming thing we read about some of it in the word of god but we have not seen the half of what we're truly going to see of the kingdom of the king of kings jesus when we're certainly there in his presence it's going to take our spirit away in verse six it says she said to king solomon it notice was a true report which i heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom However, I did not believe the words, notice, until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, she says, not the half was told me your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Again, she's testifying of her firsthand experience. She's saying, I heard about you and I heard about these things and your wisdom and the glory of your kingdom. But she said, until I came and saw with my own eyes and see that's what every person needs to do we can testify about Jesus to other people like people testified of the King uh, Solomon those who had probably traveled around and she, that's how she got word as the merchant ships went out people would say you've got to see this kingdom you've got to meet this king you've got to see he's so wise and his glory is so incredible his kingdom and, and she says I heard about it but that wasn't good enough just to hear about it I had to come and see it for myself And that's what we want people to do. We want to proclaim the fame and the truth and the reality about Jesus that we've experienced as the Lord sends us out into our world in such a way that people would want to come and see with their own eyes. And they'd want to come and see it for themselves. And they'd have an experience like the Queen of Sheba where they'd say, until I came and saw with my own eyes, I realized you didn't even tell me the half of it. Not even the half of all that was available and all that was great about him was told to me. She says, "That this just exceeds what I even heard. Verse 8, she says, therefore happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. So she says, it's such a blessing to be able to be one who gets to serve you and to hear your wisdom on a regular basis as you provide rulership over their lives. And certainly that's true of us. How much more is that for us who are servants of Jesus? Verse nine, blessed, she says, be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and to do righteousness. And then she gave the king as if he needed something, but again, she could not contain herself As an expression of wanting to honor him, she was so astonished by him, she just felt compelled to honor and bless him. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. And there never again came such abundance of spices. Seems that's what was very prevalent where she came from. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to king solomon so notice in verses six down through ten there really the the greatness of solomon and her experience of how great and incredible he was and her encounter with him and her conversation her interaction with him as he gave time and attention to her and seeing everything about his glory notice it compelled her to do what to offer honor and praise towards him. She begins to bless him with her words and to express adoration and give praise towards him with her words and her heart. And she also actually gives gifts towards him, giving him gold and as if he really needed that and spices and precious stones. Again, we're going to read more in this chapter about all that Solomon possessed. He certainly needed nothing. But she could not contain herself but to want to honor him and bless him because of the overwhelming experience of what she had encountered with him and because of his greatness. And I think what a wonderful picture. If this is her response to an earthly king, to King Solomon, how much more should our response towards Jesus, the King of Kings, and his greatness and our experience with him compel us to do the exact same? to want to worship the lord to want to praise him with our words and to pour out our hearts and adoration towards him to want to give to him worship and honor i don't i don't quite rationalize in my mind how some people uh, you know express to be followers of the lord but yet they have very little passion or interest towards worship Uh, It just doesn't it doesn't quite reconcile with me. I just, there's a part of when you encounter Jesus that it's almost as if you, you need to worship him. You, you need to release. I just, I need to sing to you, Lord. I need to praise you. I need an outlet to give to you glory and to give to you adoration and to to want to give to the Lord that whatever it may be that would honor him whether it's of our resources or our time even as she here is giving and again keep in mind as I said the Queen of Sheba lavished gifts upon Solomon Solomon didn't need anything and quite frankly I mean God doesn't need anything I mean Jesus isn't needy it's not like he needs my money or he needs my time or he needs my help or even needs per se my worship but it's not a matter of him needing it. It's a matter of that I need to give it to him because it's the rightful response. It's what's healthy in the relationship and uh, who we are towards one another. So she just begins to lavish upon him gifts of precious metals and spices in abundance. Verse 11 says also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great, great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir now Almag wood we're not hundred percent certain uh, other than it comes from what's known as the Almag tree. Some believe it's like a sandal wood if you do a little research it's kind of like this beautiful reddish uh, type wood. I mean just very attractive in its appearance a very unique wood uh, probably very rare in some ways. so great quantities of Almag wood are now brought back through these uh, merchants going out and bringing these back and the king it says verse 12 made steps of the Almogwood for the house of the Lord and also for the king's house. He also made harps and stringed instruments for the singers. So he invested uh, in the music ministry. Wanted to make sure he had good sounding guitars and harps and so forth to worship and uh, have music playing. Notice verse 12, there never again came such Almogwood nor has the like been since to this day. Verse thirteen, the encounter concludes between the Queen of Sheba uh, here and King Solomon. It says, Now King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all that she desired. Whatever she asked, besides what the king what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity, and so she turned and went to her own country, she And all of her servants. So, again, this beautiful picture here of King Solomon just being generous towards her, blessing her. It says that whatever she desired. Now, man, you've got to have some pretty vast resources to just say whatever you desire. And again, what is she? She's just one visiting queen, she's one of many visitors that King Solomon gets. We're going to read later in the chapter that people from all over the world. Are seeking out King Solomon that he's doing business with you know countries and uh, nations all around. She's just one of many and just one woman who shows up uh, to to visit and to get. And he says he gives her all that she desires. And I love what it says there. It says according to the royal generosity, according to the vast resources and the vast generosity that was in Solomon's heart. Now, if we take that and translate that over. To Jesus, how wonderful to know that if that's what Solomon was able to do, how much is the royal generosity that Jesus possesses as the king of kings? How much is his royal generosity as a king? He's a much more benevolent king than any human king. He's a much more giving king. He has much greater resources and capacities to give to us what we need, not only even what we need, but even at times what we desire to be able to supply to us what we desire in our lives and to meet those things from his own royal generosity. What a wonderful picture uh, Solomon is in many ways here of Jesus. In fact, if you're a note taker, whether with pen or pencil or just mentally, let me read to you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12 verse 42, referring to the Queen of Sheba. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this to the religious leaders, the queen of the South will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus said, Speaking of the rejection of the Jews and particularly the religious leaders when he was right in their midst as the king of kings, as as the wisdom of God manifest in their midst. And they constantly did what? Dismiss him, reject him, mistreat him, ignore him brush him aside and so Jesus using this account from the Old Testament says the queen of Sheba in the day of judgment is going to rise up and condemn this generation and he says the reason is her ideal example of what it means to show true honor to a great king he says the queen of Sheba she came from the ends of the earth she traveled 1500 miles and she was a queen She traveled 1,500 miles, inconvenienced herself greatly, sacrificed a lot personally, took a whole lot of time, made a whole lot of effort to go and seek out the most glorious earthly king in that day just to hear his wisdom. He says, she came from the ends of the earth and Jesus said, indeed, a much greater king is right here in your midst. I'm right here available. And yet, I'm rejected, I'm ignored, I'm mistreated and Jesus points to this reality he says her testimony of her example is going to condemn all those who have ignored and lightly brushed aside Jesus she put forth such effort to seek an earthly king how much more ought we to put forth Jesus was saying regarding the king of kings regarding Jesus to want to seek him to hear his wisdom to let him you know work in our lives you know Jesus is so accessible And yet he was constantly rejected. And tragically, you know, I think it's a convicting thing to realize sometimes the effort the Queen of Sheba put in to seek out King Solomon and how minimal, so often, how much minimal effort is put in to seek Jesus. How how minimal sacrifice, minimal willingness to, to pursue and to seek after the Lord is put in by people in comparison to what the Queen of Sheba put in for just to go see a man, a special man, a famous man. You know, quite sadly, sometimes as human beings, certainly in our American idolatry culture, I mean, we, we put in way more effort to seek after and to see and to watch and observe and spend time, you know, whether it's a famous singer or a movie star. Or a famous sports player. I mean, I we'll, mean, we'll go to the ends of the earth. We'll make time and go spend fifty dollars and you know wait in lines for three days. You know, we, we, and, and let me go one step further. And you know, since I'm already not preaching and probably meddling, I might as well go further. We'll do the same for Christian famous people. I mean, quite frankly, you know, we, we will fill up sanctuaries and churches with thousands of people if we bring in a famous. Christian athlete or a famous Christian singer but yet the last I check Jesus shows up at every church all the time whenever even two or three people get together and he doesn't even charge $50 for the ticket for a mission and it's amazing what we will do for human beings and human resources and yet it's quite honestly somewhat tragic and in some ways i think somewhat convicting and dishonoring how little we will do we oh look at the jews i can't believe they rejected jesus in some ways i think we need to evaluate ourselves sometimes jesus was right in their midst how could they reject him how could they ignore him and brush him aside i think sometimes we have to be careful maybe a little bit different but in some of the same ways we can do those same kind of things well verse 14 now describes the opulence and the, 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 the you know, extravagance of Solomon's kingdom and this starts to lead towards unfortunately his downfall in the chapters ahead we'll see notice verse 14 the weight of gold that came to King Solomon yearly was 660 talents of gold Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of the traders, from all the kings of Arabia, notice, and from the governors, remember, who daily took, or excuse me, monthly contributed taxation to the king as well. So all this income coming in. Interesting, the weight of gold that came to King Solomon yearly totaled 666 talents of gold. That, that's 25 tons approximately, or about 50,000 pounds of gold. Now, uh, uh, average about uh, for a talent of gold, approximately in today's day and age, about a talent of gold will be worth a little over a million dollars. So 666 talents, that's that's almost 700 million (laughs) dollars. That's not a bad uh, annual salary. Coming into Solomon's kingdom. Almost $700 million. It just kind of gives you a picture there what kind of gold is coming into him. Verse 16 And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, and then 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made another 300 shields of hammered gold, and three minas of gold went into each shield. So a total of 500 shields there. 200 were large shields. And then 300 were smaller shields. And the king put them, notice not to use on the battlefield with the army, he just put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. It was probably like his weaponry museum area. Think about this, shields of gold. Gold is a very soft metal. It's a very expensive metal. It's a very heavy metal, but it's also a very soft metal. So these shields were not for practical use in warfare. I mean, they would be worthless. You would not use a shield made of gold in warfare. That would be a, a waste and wouldn't give you much defense. So what are the shields for? One thing, to impress people. <laughs> just, I mean, it just was to decorate his armory, So you could go, wow, I mean, 500 just golden shields lining the forest of Lebanon just to, again, show his incredible extravagance. This was all about impressing people. This is what Solomon became consumed with the impression of opulence and extravagance and look at this you want to talk about extravagance watch verse 18 moreover the king made a great throne of ivory and then he overlaid it with pure gold now to me a question mark question mark question mark why would you i mean you make a throne of ivory that's incredible why would you overlay it then with gold because that's solomon again it just it just speaks of opulence of extravagance, it wasn't enough to have an ivory throne. He's got to overlay the even the ivory. That's not good enough. We got to overlay that with gold and make it more extravagant. We need to impress. This is what happens as his wealth was increasing. Verse nineteen: The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back, and there was armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. So probably two lions holding up the armrests. Again, remember lions are the, the king of the beasts. So again, just speaking of uh, strength and, and royalty. And then verse twenty twelve, lions stood there, one on each side of the sticks steps. Nothing like this, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit, nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. This is just over the top. Verse 21, all King Solomon's drinking vessels, look at this, were gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold, weren't just overlaid. These were pure gold. Not one of these vessels, notice, was silver, for silver was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Now, silver is a precious metal, right? I mean, silver has its fair share of value. It's considered a precious metal. But in Solomon's day, silver was like, it was like dirt, man. It was, it's, it's got to say, they don't, silver was about as common as the rocks on the ground. So, some silverware, no way. Silver cups, no way. We need gold. Anything we're using, it needs to be gold, overlaid with gold, or if not, it's pure, solid gold, because silver just isn't extravagant enough for the wealth of our kingdom verse 22 for the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram and once every three years they'd come back from these expeditions and they came bringing notice more gold and silver and ivory and then just in case you need some extra things apes and monkeys Now look, the the apes and monkeys were not rare delicacies, so in case that's going to bother you right away. Ew, they're eating apes and monkeys, that's cruel. The apes and monkeys were not a rare delicacy in meat, they were again for just entertainment. Apes and monkeys, you know, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it almost seems like Solomon had his own zoo. He was very into animals and zoology and research and understanding things. But a lot of what he was into as well, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to read it in connection to these chapters, it's all about Solomon talking about everything he tried under the sun to find enjoyment in. And Solomon seriously indulged pleasure and every form of entertainment. Hey, make, make the monkeys do something. And let me see some apes swing And these were just things that were just a part of the... Extravagance of all that he wanted, exotic animals being brought in, apes and monkeys and so forth. And the king says, verse 23, King Solomon surpassed, take notice, God wants us to know this, surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So of every king on the earth, he surpassed, God's evaluation, he surpassed in riches and wealth as well as in great wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, notice again, which God had put in his heart. Again, it wasn't anything about Solomon. God had graciously put this wisdom into his heart and so people were really seeking the wisdom of God whether Solomon was taking credit for it or not. Each man, verse 25, brought his presence, articles of silver and gold and garments and armor and spices and horses and mules at a set rate year by year. So some of this was taxation and revenue, customs, some of this was bringing a gift when you'd go to see the king. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. The king also made, look at this, verse 27, silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the low land. Also, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiva. The king's merchants brought them in Kiva at the current price. Now a chariot, was in that was imported from egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150 and thus through their agents they exported them to all the kings of the hittites and the kings of syria so solomon not only is multiplying gold and silver incredibly but now we see him multiplying as well notice horses and chariots importing them from egypt and places all over the world and not only is he importing horses and chariots in great abundance but it's almost like he sets up a chariot dealership and it says here in verse uh, you know 29 that he actually then starts accumulating so much then he's actually now exporting them so he's bringing them in at a current price and he's saying hey I mean, we have so many, I mean, we might as well just increase the, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit among us and, and, and we might as well get more. So now they're bringing them in and it's like they're, you know, bringing in chariots, polishing them up and flipping them, you know, like people do with cars. So so now he's bringing them in and then he's exporting them back out to other areas, probably making a profitability on all them. Now, take note here what Solomon's doing. And again, let me just for sake of refreshing your memory, let me read to you what God said in the law Deuteronomy 17 regarding instruction for kings after what we just read listen God said this regarding the kings that king shall not multiply horses for himself uh oh nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses uh oh for the Lord has said you shall not return that way again going back to the world neither shall he multiply wives wait till we get chapter 11 verse 1 for himself lest his heart turn away he shall greatly also not multiply silver or gold for himself so three things a king was not to multiply excessively gold and silver horses and chariots and wives a king was not to excessively greedily use his power and his position to multiply and gain and greedily go after in abundance all these things again keep in mind there's nothing wrong with wealth remember God promised Solomon when he asked for wisdom God promised him Solomon not only am I going to give you wisdom but I'm going to give you what he didn't ask for I'm going to bless you with wealth and glory and fame and even that wasn't enough for Solomon God was already going to bless him he was already very wealthy just with God's blessing but now he's not content with that he's got to be excessive he needs more gold. Silver is common as stones. Chariots from everywhere around the world. Horses imported from Egypt. What's he doing? He's directly defying the word of God. His reasoning has gone out the window and his sensual pleasures and desires for what is worldly and his love for the things of the world and what's temporal and material and able to be experienced in the flesh has now caused him to disregard the word of God and God said a king was not to do this lest his heart turn away from the Lord. This is why a king wasn't to do this. He was to write himself a copy of the word of God and to read the word of God. Chapter 17 of Deuteronomy says that the king's heart may not be lifted up above his brethren and he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left and that he might prolong his kingdom. So Solomon now is disregarding these things. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Remember the third thing he wasn't supposed to multiply? Chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, and the Ammonites, and the Edomites, and the Sidonians, and the Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said, Deuteronomy 7, as well as other places, the Lord said to the children of Israel, generically, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. So Solomon here begins now to multiply wise. In fact, look at verse 3 as well. And he had 700 that's 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 not a misprint. that's that's really right there. That's accurate in the Bible. Seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines and concubines were basically in a sense like second class wives who were really more just for sexual pleasure alone. They weren't given the rights of the wife as far as you know, children and a heritage. They basically were just, uh, sort of additional women that you sort of kept as a part of a harem for your pleasure so these notice verse 3 turned away his heart so Solomon here chapter 11 now the third thing you, he, he's violating as well from Deuteronomy 17 he loved many foreign women now take notice of verse 1 there are two words this is part of the problem first of all Solomon loved many women he loved that was this was part of his problem that he loved many women instead of loving one woman instead of being content with one wife and one woman for all of the fulfillment of companionship and romantic and physical and sexual fulfillment and all that comes together with a companion Solomon's problem is he wasn't content with just one He wasn't content with just one wife and one woman, a lifelong companion, which God, who knows us and created us from Genesis 2, said it's not good that man should be alone, but gave to us the privilege, the gift of having one spouse, one wife to experience contentment and fulfillment and all that goes along with a a marital relationship between a man and a woman. But Solomon's problem is he wasn't content with just one. He wanted many. But but let me me just emphasize something. As soon as he wasn't content with one, apparently even 700 weren't enough. Even a thousand weren't enough. Now that starts to tell you something. If you're not content with one, you wouldn't be content if you had a thousand. Solomon had a thousand women at his disposal. He could sleep with a different woman for two and a half years straight to work through a thousand women. If you're not content with one person as a spouse, you're not going to be content with a thousand people as a spouse. You you can try as many as you want. All you're going to do is have more baggage and problems and heartache and issues and difficulties. Uh, I can line up people probably that'd be glad to tell you that made that mistake to explain to you that the, the grass isn't really greener on the other side. Better to just keep watering your own brown lawn and wait for the green grass to come back eventually so Solomon here he loved many women but more than that notice he loved foreign women now this isn't an issue of inter, you know, interracial marriage or you're not supposed to marry somebody of a, you know, a different ethnic background or nationality that has nothing to do with that the word of God is not teaching that uh, again Boaz and Ruth Ruth was a Moabitess and Boaz married. the issue was these were women who were foreign in their worship of foreign gods as well they worship and these foreign women brought in their foreign deities and their pagan gods and brought in idolatry and introduced these things and their practices and This was the reason why God said to the children of Israel period in verse two don 't intermarry with these foreigners it wasn 't that they were of different nationality is that they did not worship the same God they were not spiritually compatible. The same as what we would say today is, you know, don't be unequally yoked with someone. A believer who worships and follows Jesus Christ should not be entering into a romantic relationship or certainly not at all a marriage relationship with someone who's not a believer and follower of Jesus Christ because they are going to turn your heart away from the Lord. It's what's going to happen. And so here, this was Solomon's mistake. He's entering into this And God said, they'll turn your hearts away. But notice, says verse two, that Solomon clung to these in love. He disregarded what the word of God said and he was clinging more to his own sensual pleasures and fulfillment more than he was clinging to God. And when you care more and hold more tightly to your own personal and sensual fulfillment than you do hold on to the Lord, Uh, then you start making choices and decisions, unfortunately, like this, which Solomon, I'm sure, would be the first to tell you when you meet him. Uh, not a whole lot of good came out of that. Not a whole lot of good other than just momentary satisfaction. It caused a lot of problems and it leads to the spiral downward in Solomon's life. Because notice verse four, for so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as with the heart of his father David. So in time, exactly what God said came to pass. God doesn't warn in vain. God doesn't say things to us to try and rob us of our joy. God says things to us because he loves us. And, and says, look, this is if you do that, this is what's going to happen. And, and somehow Solomon thought maybe he could be the exception to the rule. Oh, no, not me. I'm Solomon. I'm the wisest man who ever lived. I'm the exception here. I've got gold and silver. And again, keep in mind, in that day, they didn't just also marry... Just for pleasure alone, there also were political alliances behind these things. why so you'd marry foreign women for political alliances. The Adv- advantageous relationships with people of other nations and kings and princesses using that dynamic, as well as it was a show of your wealth. Look, it, it was difficult to provide for one wife. Anybody have one? It's difficult to provide. But Solomon, every time you accumulate another wife... It, wow, you can provide for two wives? So I, I can provide for a thousand wives. That's how rich I am. That's how great my kingdom is. I have provisions for a thousand wives and all the kids that come along with them. That, again, this is part of what happens here. It was part of it. It was a, is an image thing to try and give a, a representation on top of just fulfilling his own you know, sensual pleasures as well. But sadly, his wives turn his heart away. His heart was not loyal to the Lord as God. Verse five, for Solomon went after, look at this, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Ashtoreth was the goddess of fertility or sexuality in the practices, many of them very perverted. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So God doesn't even refer to that God as a God. He just calls it an abomination. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as David, his father. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is on the east of Jerusalem. Now, interesting, the hill east of Jerusalem is right across from, guess what? The Temple Mount, where he just built a temple. And now right across from it, where you can see in vantage point with your own natural eye, he builds an altar and a high place to the worship of Chemosh, the gods of the, Ammon, of the Moab people. And on the hill that is east Jerusalem, And for Molech, another god, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And Molech was a god basically that was directly connected to child sacrifice. They'd heat up a molten image and take an infant and when when the statue was red, boiling hot, they would just roll the baby into the arms and down into a fire and just it was child sacrifice. It was a god that was a god that meant to give pleasure if you made great sacrifices so they would sacrifice their children for their own selfish pleasures. And he did likewise notice, not only as well, but for all of his foreign wives who burn incense and sacrifice to their gods. Verse nine, so the Lord became angry with Solomon. I would say that's justifiable at this point. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel. Notice God reminds us who appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Now, let me just read to you the next few verses. We'll wrap it up here. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you've done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God now speaks to Solomon in regards to the chastisement or the discipline, the consequences for his incredible wrongdoing and evil and idolatry not only that personally but exposing the whole kingdom to this as the national leader and he says as a result of this Solomon you're not only losing experience with me but he says Solomon you're losing opportunity now you have now forfeited opportunity in what you would have possessed and and been prolonged your kingdom it's now going to be torn away from you and I'm going to give the opportunity to someone else I'm going to give it to someone else. And we'll see as we move forward the transition and how all this leads then to the divided kingdom. But again, can I just emphasize, the Bible says the Lord became angry with him. The Lord who had appeared to him twice and told him to just say, it wasn't complicated. He's the wisest man on the earth. And all God asked from Solomon was what? Just obey me. Just obey me and obey my word. But Solomon, probably, again, like Samson, some of those, one of the greatest examples in the Bible of ruined opportunity. A man who had such potential, such opportunity. And yet the life choices that ultimately stole away from him so much of what could have been as this great, great king that he started out as. And now yet we see this incredible failure towards the end of his life. And I can't help but to think again that, again, understand this wasn't overnight this was gradual 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 incremental 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 little by little by little by little as his heart became more calloused and he started somehow to think in his pride and his own self-love that somehow i can't emphasize this enough he must have thought he was an exception and that god was going to grant him a pass God, help us not to do that. It does not matter if you are the most powerful, famous king on the earth. Ultimately, God's the king. And and you can't bribe God or you can't think somehow you're going to get a pass because you're just so special. Uh, God holds us all to the same account. and We need to reverence and honor what he says to us. Let's stand. Let's pray together.